I think in this business, you have to believe something different. And that's how you make an outsized return. Hello, and welcome to the Founder Shares podcast, brought to you by Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina, that helps founders and entrepreneurs in technology and life science companies start up, operate, get funded, and exit. So whether you're already an entrepreneur or want to be one someday, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from idea to success, or not such a success, this podcast is for you. Today's guest is a powerhouse in venture capital. Jason Kaplan, co-founder and general partner of Whole City Venture Partners. With over two decades in the industry, Jason has invested in companies such as Channel Advisor, Wedding Wire, Spiffy, and Spoonflower. He started his career at Red Hat and saw the successful IPO in 1999. He then formed Southern Capital Ventures in 2000 and Bull City Venture Partners in 2013. Jason's influence extends beyond the funds he manages. His journey is defined by more than just milestones. It's anchored in purpose. With over two decades in venture capital, he understands the responsibility he has to his limited partners, the founders he invests in, and the community as a whole. To provide a great return, and there's a lot of trust there and belief in us. So we've got to fulfill that. Yeah. You know, that's that's an obligation. It's it's uh, extra pressure to perform. Yeah. We take that very seriously, that people have choice with their capital. Mm-hmm. Know, their kids and everything else right so uh, you know that's what keeps us going yeah. but also like there's a huge reward with an exit with these companies and seeing them grow and all the bumps and ups and downs they you know the founder goes through and the team goes through to produce you know a great company and, and they take a lot of risk themselves right they take below market salaries and there's a lot of sacrifice that they do along the way so we i, I really treasure that you know that involvement Jason's path to entrepreneurship was paved with diverse experiences. From his family's entrepreneurial spirit to his early ventures in investment banking, every step has shaped Jason into the leader he is today. I come from a pretty entrepreneurial family on both sides. So both grandfathers, it was in tech, but they both started companies. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a, a good like catalyst for this. Um, I, I worked for an investment banking firm out of school. Uh, we raised capital for some companies that were really interesting. And I always thought like, hey, it'd be good to like find a shortcut to raise capital faster for these great companies. Um, and and then the Red Hat experience gave me a, a boost in that too, seeing that, seeing that happen. Um, so that was what kind of pushed, you know, me to kind of do it. But I, I, I love the idea of like starting something from scratch and mm-hmm. then adding some capital to it, to the mix, to the recipe and getting something off the ground. Now, as you kind of look back at the, that early stage, was the hardest part kind of raising funds for the fund, or was it identifying the good companies? What did you find to be most challenging? Yeah, I, I think they're all. It's all hard. Yeah. Um, that first fund took two years to raise capital for. So again, a very very humbling experience. But the job we have is like really hard. Not only is it hard raising capital. Every time we go out and do that, we've done it four times now. So we're investing out of our fourth fund, which is a $53 million fund. So we've grown quite a bit over the years. But it's the hard part is like identifying the companies, mm-hmm. you know, and convincing these great entrepreneurs that they need to select us to be their partner. And then working with them, right? So, you know, David, my partner, likes to say, hey, it's easier writing the check. The hard part is like the journey over the next 
10 plus years, right. you know, working with the founders through all the ups and downs uh, and building their and helping them build their business and being a true partner. And, and, and I was going to ask that question. Do you, do you view yourself as, as like being invested in those businesses beyond kind of the, the money that's involved? How hands-on do you like to be with these yeah. companies? So our, our view is like capital itself as a commodity. Mm-hmm. And so it's what, you know, we, we think we earn our reputation, our reputation is earned by all the help that we provide our companies afterwards. So the goal is for the founder, once they select us, to have, and the team there, not just the founder, but the whole team to have a remarkable experience with us mm-hmm. so that they, the two things happen. One, they tell other founders about us, uh, which is really important. And then two, lights out, they have to select us next time around they have a company. Right. So the the Scott Wingos, when he has an exit at Channel Advisor, selects us with Spiffy. Or the Troy McConnells, when he has an exit with, with Batanga, selects us again. Or Robin Smith with Synthematics. You know, these founders are just like rinse and repeat with the same firm. Right. And so getting that that lock-in is really important. As you kind of grow as a team, do you see yourself dividing into different roles? Do you just work with different companies? Do you all have the same type of role, just working yep. complementary together? How does that work out? It's it's really not too divided. You know, we're all kind of like hustling to try to find, you know, the next next company we invest in. I, I will say uh, David probably gets, the only probably difference in us is probably David has done a little bit more of like the accounting work within the firm. And I've done a little bit more of the marketing stuff, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Uh, otherwise we're both hunting for companies. We're both on boards and, and Michael too. So it's all, it's all pretty uh, divided. I, I would probably say I'd probably, I'm probably spending a little bit more time in like the Washington DC area. David's probably spending more time in Nashville. Okay. But other than that, it's pretty, pretty identical. So you, you mentioned the fact that you come kind of from an entrepreneurial family. Did you have investing in your mind as a kid that's something that you wanted to do? Did you have in mind you wanted to start a business? Like, how did, how yeah, did you come, in, yeah. and come into this? So when I was in college up in Boston, um, I was interning for this investment banking firm that I ended up working for out of school. Okay. Um, but I applied to like 50 VC firms in, in Boston um, and sent my resume. And I heard back from one. And they said no. Mm-hmm. That was Summit Partners, uh, but everybody else didn't respond. Oh wow! And so uh, took the you know that that's what happened. But I knew in college, hey, that's something I wanted to do. It just happened for me a little bit sooner than I than I thought it would. Yeah. And what was it at that time that appealed to you about working with VCs? I think it was the same thing. Like with with uh, when I was at Harrison Hurley and Company r- raising capital, you know, we 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 would identify these great companies and help them raise money. But it, you know, again, finding that shortcut kind of like intrigued me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your very first investment? I always heard that the first investment's the worst, uh-huh. and uh, that was the case here too. Okay, uh, so we, um, you know, you, you can't. Fall, I think in this business, you make money by having a belief that others don't necessarily believe in. You have to believe something different, mm-hmm. and that's how you make an outsized return. And with uh, in this, we invested in a company called Full Seven Technologies. They got the CED Fast Track of the Year Award. They had a lot of angel investors pile in. They had another venture capital firm pile in, and we kind of like followed those guys and that rode that momentum. Right. Um, but it was uh, it was a flop, so that didn't work out too well. But I still have a, a collared uh, shirt in my closet today from Full Seven. Okay. But the cool thing is like. 
Jess Lipson, yep. who we invested in with Levitate, was a developer there. And so, you know, kind of led to other other things. Sure. So even in that kind of, I don't know, failed investment, you get those network benefits. You get a- some absolutely. Other, yeah. yeah. And as you look back on it, like, did, what were some of the lessons learned from, from that investment or from some of your other early investments? How did that shape your decisions now? I think we learn a lot from the companies we do and then the companies we don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this... This business, I mentioned earlier how humbling it was raising our first fund, but it's it continues to be humbling because you, you, we we missed out on a lot too. Right. So it's the companies you know we missed investing in John Foley's company Peloton. Mm-hmm. Right. We had a shot to seed Peloton. We could have seeded Flatiron Health, which is a three and a half billion dollar exit with Nat and Zach. Um, so I think we try to ingest all these data points. Mm-hmm. And David, Michael, and I constantly chat about and track the ones that we we have a whole uh, CRM that we use. Um, so we track everything and just try to keep learning, you know. Right. And I'm learning as much this year as I did, you know, in year one. Uh, probably more now because we have more data coming in. So it's all about, you know, what are the mistakes? What are the things we are learning that are positive? Then <laughs> what are we learning from, like, some of the mistakes as well yeah. that we make? Well, I think it's to me that sounds challenging because you know you've highlighted that to differentiate yourself, you have to have a belief that's different than some of the other investors out there. But at the same time, you talk about some of these investment that are missed opportunities, and and to not to learn from that, but not drive yourself crazy about. Yeah, I I think think with Matt and Zach, we really like those guys a lot. Um, We we had them down in North Carolina. Uh, David, they actually passed on us initially, by the way. Uh, and then David, my partner, introduced them to a bunch of potential customers down here in, in, in our state. They both flew down. We set up two days of meetings with them. David set up two days of meetings for them. And we kind of uh, put in, sprinkled in some of our meetings with our entrepreneurs purposely to like right. help sell the, the, the Bull City story in there. And uh, at the end of it, they were like, hey, we got to carve you into our round. Here's our spot. And for that, it was like, oh, we, we can't stretch. Like, this is a little bit higher. This is like 20% higher in valuation or something like that than we want to pay. So I think it's like little data points like that that we're learning. Like, hey, when you find the right founder, mm-hmm. it's great. You know, a huge TAM, you got to write the check. Yeah. So. So in your investment career to date, what are some of the keys that you see that make a really successful company? It's all about the people. Okay. So you got to have like, for us, it's, it's it's finding the the founder where you get the feeling in the team you get the feeling you want to quit your job and go work there. Mm. For for us, it's it's that person is very inspirational. Yep, they usually can sell. They can recruit really well. They can sell to customers, partners, someday potential acquirers. Mm-hmm. They're good at fundraising, um, and so that's a high bar. Right, um, and but that's that's the catalyst. And then beyond that, it's like. Is there, is there a huge market here? Do we believe that? How, what's the proof? Um, so there's a lot of other pieces to it. But we're very much around the jockey. That's that's like our firm belief. We scream that on our website and all our materials, and that's worked out really well for us over time. So if I'm a founder sitting at home listening to that, I'd be like, oh, I'm not that charismatic person. I'm not. Is that like a call to surround yourself with somebody who can do that, or are there ways that you could— overcome that deficiency if, if you're not that founder. Yeah, I think we look at teams, right? Mm-hmm. So some of our CEOs may not be that way, but yep. they surround them. I think that's great advice. Like they surround themselves with other people that are, that might be. And that doesn't have to be like uh, inside the team. It could be board members. 
But I think like finding other A players around them that can surround them would, would really help. But the other piece of this too is like finding like an incredible market, you know, has been important to us. Finding markets that we understand. Mm-hmm. And then we feel as a team that we can, like, how do we participate here? I mentioned earlier about making sure the founder has a great experience. So it's finding that great founder, that the person we want to, we feel like we want to quit our jobs and go work there. But then second of that, like, why Bull City? Right. So there's a lot of sources of capital out there. So we have to figure out, like, what is it about us that we can insert ourselves into the story and help accelerate it? If we can figure that out, then that's a good like recipe for us. Yep. So how do you stay up with kind of new development? I mean, maybe it's just from seeing the businesses that come across your desk, but how do you stay up on changes in technology? What really is out there and capable and what's just kind of people blowing smoke? Yep. Um, so we read a lot, obviously, uh, constant readers, all of us are, but it's also going to a lot of, a lot of conferences, okay. you know, so, um, you know, I mentioned before we started, I've been in New York like the last two of the last three weeks. So that was conferences going on up there. So we participate a lot in trying to gather, you know, information and then learn a lot from our companies. Then, of course, we see like 1,500 companies a year. Right. So we're learning a lot through that. So it's just constantly absorbing information. That's a great thing about my job that I love. We're just constantly learning. Yeah. Tell me about a little bit of the, like about the VC market itself. Is it is it fairly collegial? Do you guys work well together with other VCs that are out there? Did you find it more competitive? I mean, how do you how do you think about that? A- absolutely. You know, we're a small fund, so mm-hmm. I mentioned fifty three million dollar fund. So when you when you're this size, you have to have friends, right? Um, you have to have partners that you trust, people you've co invested with before that you want to keep co investing with, uh, and that alignment. Well, the other funds is, uh, or investors, I say funds, it doesn't have to be funds. Mm-hmm. It could be angel investors or strategics. You have to have a really good alignment there. And that's been one of the mistakes that we've we've made in the last 23 years is not having great alignment with investors. And and when you when that happens, that can be very detrimental. Right. Because it is an interesting kind of dynamic. I mean, sometimes you're competing for same companies together. Sometimes you're coming in together on those same companies. I mean. We don't really compete because we, we win. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, of course we compete. You know, like, yeah, I mean, every every firm does, right? Right. We're all chasing these great companies. We're trying to convince them and take our capital. Mm -hmm. And and not only are we competing against, you know, other venture capital firms, we may be competing against their belief they should be cash flow positive and they don't need capital. Yeah. We may be competing against angel investors or strategics. So it's not just other other VC funds, uh, but absolutely, of course we are. Yeah. So what has been one of your favorite success stories in your career to date? We've got a few. Uh, we've, you know, we've had the companies go public, companies acquired. Um, I, I always love the the wedding wire story uh, up in D.C. So they help couples find local wedding vendors. Okay. And we we met the founder through a breakfast we did. We just hosted a breakfast in, in Reston, Virginia, you know, a long time ago, and uh, six founders showed up for the breakfast for bagels and coffee. It's interesting. We invested in two of them, which is one of them was Wedding Wire. But n- we didn't invest in Wedding Wire at that time. Uh, we got pitched as uh, the CEO's name is Tim Chi. He pitched us on investing in the company. And David and I kind of looked at each other and were like, how, how big can the wedding in- weddings industry be? Right. Uh, we're not going to put money in a you know seed this company. 
And Tim, Tim was a very experienced entrepreneur. He's one of the founders of Blackboard, a very successful software company. So we passed, mm-hmm. and the and but stayed really, really close to the team there for four and a half years, and they grew it from zero to ten million in revenue. Wow. We saw Tim and the team there on a quarterly basis, and just catching up with them. We would see my conferences, but mm-hmm. very, very familiar with the story. We had all their numbers, um, and really treasured the relationship. Eventually, he had an opportunity to to you know to fit us into the deal. So he called uh, David and I up and he said, mm-hmm. look at, I've got an opportunity to get you in. Uh, it's, um, they needed, they wanted to buy a website from eHarmony, called, uh, a website called Project Wedding. Okay. And so we were in his office the next day, closed in three weeks. Wow. And we could do that. We could move that speed because we already knew all, all his numbers mm-hmm. and we're so familiar with the team. But, and, and that, that company grew, um, over over well over 10x uh, in size from a revenue perspective in under seven years, wow. and and they did it very like in a very capital efficient way, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And we and we sold to uh, Premier. Okay. Now the fast forward, they bought the Knot, which was a public company, and Tim and team currently run the you know the whole business. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now you mentioned the fact that you kind of stayed close after you had said no. As you look back, was was that Tim and his team kind of continuing to reach out to you, or were you kind of invested both, in both? both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's both. We've done that a lot. Like if you look at like uh, Robin Smith, Robin Synthematics, uh, which was an exit for us in Fund One, we passed on five times. Mm-hmm. So we we might pass, but it's it's about tracking the companies. What is it about that company that we don't like? And can we? And eventually, does, does the team overcome it? Mm-hmm. And is there an opportunity for us? So, but treating the founder really, really well along the way and keep engaging. Yeah, because that's a conversation we've had with a number of our companies is, is advising people just to stay in touch, even if you're not looking for a check at a specific point in time. Stay in touch with potential investors, have those conversations, stay on people's radars, because you never know, kind of to your point, when metrics might change or when something else has changed within the company that sure. makes it more interesting. I mean, ra- raising capital for founders is like a sales process, right? You've got to run a very organized process, uh, keep investors updated, so yeah. absolutely. So now, as you kind of look at the landscape now, is there any technology or types of businesses that you're particularly excited about? Anything that is on your radar? Not, yeah. not, not specific names, just but just general types of businesses. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we try to stay away from just like, Themes, mm-hmm. but we we do love vertical SaaS. You know, for us, we there are some AI plays that we've looked at. Uh, one inside in healthcare that we like a lot. So we've invested in a few healthcare related companies. I say healthcare; it's software in healthcare, right? Um, and uh, so, but yeah, that's kind of what we're we're chasing. And is it just market opportunity there, or is it the technology itself that excites you? Both. I think it's like our again back goes back to like our understanding of of the business and like why bull city how do we fit in right. like are there customers we can introduce the company to uh, partners potential acquirers like green places for example locally one of our portfolio companies i mean we're pretty active in introducing them to prospects mm-hmm. and getting them in getting them in, in touch with potential customers you know on a regular basis so we get we do a lot of that now we were talking a little bit kind of before we started to record here about some of the challenges of a down market and what that looks like, both for companies and for funds. I welcome you just to kind of talk about how you think about that. You know, when you're in a 
a challenging economic situation, how do you advise the companies that you're working with? And then how do you think about it from Bull City's perspective? I think I mentioned earlier before we started that this is probably the hardest moment uh, in, in my career of doing this, in, investing in, in companies. So you, you've got the barbell approach right now, or barbell thing happening where there's companies that are doing uh, exceptionally well, we'll call them A-quality companies. They're still raising capital from external sources, and they're still raising money at record valuations. That's, you know, they're still getting whatever they want. There's lots of competition out there getting into the A-quality companies. We've competed on some. You know, there's one in, that we competed on. I got six term sheets recently. Mm-hmm. Then there's everybody else. The B-quality and below, they have no access to capital. Mm-hmm. When I say they have no access to capital, it's, it's external capital. So what's happening, B-quality and below, B-plus and below, right, are they're relying on their inside insiders to, to fund the to fund the business. Right. The insiders are often doing triage in their own portfolio and trying to figure out who they're going to fund, who they're not going to fund. Right. They're just, they're picking. And so the, the capital may or may not be available to them. And I think it's going to get worse throughout this year. Also, what's what's playing into all of this is limited partners don't want to write checks into new funds right now. Right. So that capital is absolutely evaporated. So you're getting, like I was at a conference um, November last year in New York with all these small funds that's like uh, fund sizes of 100 million and below. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I was amazed by how many of those funds, maybe they raised, it's like sold GP, raised fund one, maybe they raised fund two, no exits, they're dead in the water. Mm-hmm. They cannot raise the next fund. Right. So they're out of business, they're running around, they're meeting with founders still, trying to, you know, trying to stay active, but they don't have any capital. So I think what we're going to see is less funding sources out there. So the number of funding sources is going to go down. So less VCs out there. I, I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. I think we just face like a total, you know, blip in the market. You know, that all there was just too much capital out there. Yeah. And I think we're getting we're going to go back to more normal levels. So do you see opportunities kind of, I guess, kind of in, in, in this downstage for, for you? I mean, I know you say it's really competitive, but what do you see as kind of the unique opportunities during this type of a, a time period? I think, I think in some cases we're seeing valuations be a, a little tiny, a tad better, but but not a lot. Mm-hmm. For for us, you know, we just keep hunting for those for those companies. You know, looking at one right now here in North Carolina, that we may get there on, but some of the other ones, you know, it's still it's still higher. It's still to pay up to get in those A quality companies. Yeah. And what do you think is going to have to change in kind of the broader market for this to kind of reset back to less of a capital constriction? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's 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 very obvious. I think we we need to get more IPOs. We need to get the IPOs back. Yeah. So the the whole machine is clogged right now because the the LPs have so much capital. In, in venture and private equity, they don't have any liquidity right now. Right. So what they need is they need exits. They need they need dollars back before they can put dollars back out. So I, I think it's getting some exits. When we chat with bankers, they are fingers crossed 
that they start seeing that like in the summer. Okay. But having said that, they said, oh, well, you know, last year, I remember the same conversation, like back half of 2023, we, we think it's going to be really, really good. Yeah. And now they're saying they think some of the, uh, so they'll see some names test the market in, in the summer. Okay. So everyone's very, very hopeful. Uh, but if that happens, let's keep, let's, let's pretend for a minute, you know, that it does. Yep. If that happens, then I think you'll see those firms will make, get some money in their pockets. They'll mm -hmm. distribute it out to LPs. Uh, and then you get the crossover guys who make money. They'll, you know, those guys usually buy companies from the growth guys. Then the growth guys will start writing checks because they know they can get out to the crossover. And so it kind of all filters down to venture. Right. And that just takes time. Takes time. Yeah. Takes time. But I, I think I think that if we get that happening, lower rates happen, you know, rates go down, mm -hmm. which is expected to the extent how severe that, you know, how much that will happen, who knows. Um, but we have our own thinking around it. But the uh, if that happens, IPOs, I think we'll be in a really good position. Yeah, I have to say, so I attended Bull City holds an event every year, right? Founders First. That's right. So I was at that event, and I was I was say the level of negativity in in some of the the speakers at that was a little bit surprising to me, just for the extensive time. But I, I do think that's kind of proven out at this point. Yeah, you get a bunch of venture guys in a room, and it's going to be pretty negative right now. You're right. Yeah, but hopefully, to to your point, maybe we'll start to see some flickers of good things in the summer. We've been saying this. I mean, it, it's interesting at our annual meeting last year, uh, we're we're finally like right. But David and I have been saying this for a long time that. We're in a, in a little bit of a bubble, and, and it's happening. Yeah. The interesting thing is, like, the total there's a total disconnect, right, with the public markets. So the names that are already public just keep, you know, right. We're still hitting all, you know, record highs. And have you seen? I, I guess are are the founders that you're talking to, or the, the founder teams that you're talking, have they caught up to where the market's at yet? Because I think for a while there, there was still a little disconnect between companies' sense of valuation and and what they could claim versus where the money was thinking. Not really. No. No. No, I think I think there's a total a total you know disconnect. I think there it depends where they are in the cycle. Okay. So if they're currently raising, they're gonna they're gonna it's uh, that reality is setting in very very quickly. Right. But it, you know I mentioned like it could get worse this year, and so there are other companies that don't need capital yet, right? That may not need capital until the summer. Mm -hmm. So I think there's for those entrepreneurs, it hasn't settled in yet. Yeah. So aside from kind of macro conditions, what are some things that keep you up at night as an investor? I think it's all about our portfolio. We view, we view them as the customer. Mm -hmm. So if a company needs something, if we get something in our inbox and it's like a company looking for funding and then you've got a fire going on with one of your one of our portfolio companies, we are going to attend to that every, not even a fire, but like smoke or an ask, yeah. anything. We're going to make sure they have that you know positive experience with us first mm -hmm. that we respond quickly we help them out as their partner um and then we'll attend everybody else so it's it's always about our portfolio companies in good times and bad times it's 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 gonna it always comes down to the entrepreneur and the team yeah tell me a little bit about those you know the fires that come in what is what is some of the things that you can do to to help these companies that people might not you know, if they're not in this business or not having worked with a VC before, what are some of the things that you can do to help these portfolio companies? There's all kinds of things that come up. Um, there's HR issues that come up. I mean, so you're dealing with a portfolio of 20 plus companies with thousands of employees mm -hmm. across, you know, a portfolio. So 
all, all kinds of things may may come up, make it a customer churn out, you know, a big customer that churns out that could be an outsized piece of their revenue. Um, you know, for us, it's like making sure that we're accessible mm-hmm. late at night when that happens, weekends, um, whenever that may occur. The whole thing happened. Jennifer and I took our first vacation without kids and without family since our, like our, our honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, so that was like 15 years ago. And we were away in Mexico, and the whole thing happened with the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh-huh. So um, obviously we had emergency, emergency port calls, um, plans to potentially fund these businesses that were relying on, on some debt. So um, it's, it's making sure, you know, Jennifer was great, by the way, with the whole thing. But it's like making sure we're available yeah. during all those those moments um, when they they need us most. So there you go, dispelling the myth that it's a nine to five job, huh? Yeah, but you know what? I, I say that, but it's we, we do it because we enjoy it, yeah. not because we have to. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're doing this because we we have a general passion around around this. So, I, you know, someone mentioned to me the other day, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're available like at th- at this time. But it's like we do it because like we. We really enjoy it. I love working with David and Michael, yep. but I also love the companies that we work with as well. Well, and maybe that hits at it, but I was going to ask you, kind of, what is your why for for doing this and continuing to do it after you've had some success? I mean, what keeps you kind of invested and motivated and moving forward? I, I think there's a few things mm-hmm. there. David and I wrote a, a really big check ourselves and, into this, uh, into each fund, and we continue to, continue to do that per fund. Yep. But like, we've got some of our best friends and there's people that trusted us with our hard-earned dollars to provide a great return. And there's a lot of trust there and belief in us. So we've got to fulfill that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's an obligation. It's, it's uh, extra pressure to uh, perform. Yeah. We take that very seriously that people have choice with their capital. Mm -hmm. I know their kids and everything else. Right. So, uh, you know, that's what keeps us going, but also like, there's a huge reward with an exit with these companies and seeing them grow and all the bumps and ups and downs they you know the founder goes through and the team goes through to produce you know a great company and so and, and they take a lot of risk themselves right they take below market salaries and there's a lot of sacrifice that they do along the way so we I, I really treasure that you know that involvement I appreciate that I mean it really. It's about people. <laughs> it yeah, sounds like at the end totally. of the day, and, and and that's a great motivation for anybody to do anything. Yeah. So, so a lot of our listeners are founders, or someday I hope to be a founder. So, what can you share with them about as they think about seeking capital and as they seek about investment? So, like, when should they think about when do they need it? When do they not need it? When how do they go about kind of attracting an attention of somebody like you? So it it all starts with usually I can. An email, yeah, to us. So we we respond to everything that comes in, as long as it's like, "Hi, Jason." You know, not a BCC to like everybody right. they know, but like if there's like a a noun and a verb and adjective in there, and it's like, it's I could tell it's not a BCC. Mm-hmm. We we respond to it, and um, my my strong belief is like, start building the relationship when you don't need the capital, and start building up that relationship with with investors not not just us but other you know sources of capital other VCs other angel investors yeah. um, 
if you're here in North Carolina, you know, I'm also a big fan of going to all the conferences. So like CD has their conference coming up, you know, go there. It's a great place to, to meet entrepreneurs. There's Venture Atlanta, um, which I've been on the board for uh, three years in the past. It just came off. That's, you know, attracts 1,500 people. A mm-hmm. lot of, you know, all the regional VCs are there. Um, so I think going to these conferences, um, getting the entrepreneur rate, which is a discounted ticket, and uh, and also cold, you know some cold emails because keep building up the relationships with the, all the investors early on, and um, introduce yourself and and then your idea. And I think that that's a really good good start. And what are some signals or cues a company can give, kind of aside from their financials, that suggests that, that may be a good candidate for investment? I think I think what they don't have, you know, you're talking about pre like pre revenue yeah. companies. Um, so you know, pre revenue companies. I think it's like un- really understand like convincing the the investor that's it's a monster market. It's like here's a great market, huge huge market, and convincing why why me. So uh, when I go out when we go out and fundraise, it's convincing LPs on why us. Right. What's our edge? Uh, and and it's no different for the for the founder. Mm-hmm. It's it's the founder convincing. Like it's gonna be like this is a massive market, and I'm the right person to do this, and here's why. And and I think to the extent that they have other people that believe them, like a board member or even an advisor right. on their side that also believes that someone with like maybe some deep domain expertise in that space on their side, that that's also a nice endorsement. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you another interesting story. One company in uh, Fund Two for us. Um, so we backed Robin in Fund One with Synthematics, Robin Smith. He came back Fund Two. He had Artist Labs. One thing that was interesting about Artist Labs is before he even raised capital, before he even had technology, he got a company to prepay him to lock in preferred pricing for his software product. <laughs> oh, jeez. So like all of a sudden he shows up and he's like, by the way, these you know these guys already prepaid me right. to lock in this pricing. So it's just like another endorsement of what he was building. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not find something like that? Right. It's like, wow, he already a lot. And it's a Fortune 500 company, mm-hmm. prepaid him, so less capital he had to raise. Um, it's just a really, really strong signal. That's very rare to see. Sure. I, and I understand that, but I think that's just another signal of like something that's that he's building. You know, something that he's building is really interesting. Mm-hmm. How about the other side of that? Are there like some common red flags that you see that? You five minutes into a conversation, you know, a month into a relationship, you're like, yeah, this is. No matter what happens, this is not going to work out. I try to be really careful of those, okay? Um, because we're we've been we've been really bad at it, you yeah. know. Like I think you know, David likes to say it takes all kinds, mm-hmm. and I used to say, well, I don't really like if someone's like really brash or, uh, you know, I, you know, maybe they had a bad day, right, or something. So right. I think it's like. Staying close to founders, um, being part of the community, you know, I, I, I think we try to be really, really careful on like just like pushing. I, I you know, we again we're, we're seeing fifteen hundred companies a year, mm-hmm. and we're investing in two to four. Wow! So we try to get to some quick no's, but again, we're trying to monitor these companies as well as they progress. And just because we said no one time, back to the Robin Smith story or others that mm-hmm. we've had. We'll, we'll always revisit. Yeah. So what are some common mistakes that you've seen a, a company make after they've received their investment uh, that kind of, I don't know, either cause you to kind of step <laughs> in and say, hey, hey, that's, wait a minute, or 
have a further conversation with them. After, after they receive their investment. Yeah. Well, not not one of ours, because I'm not going to pick it on any, on any of ours. That's because you, you pick, all, all, you pick all, all the good all, ones. So. Yeah, ours are all perfect. Right. But I will tell you a funny story. It, this is why I smiled when you asked the question. Is um, Years ago, uh, this local entrepreneur raised like a million dollars of capital, angel dollars, okay. and uh, pretty well-known, very visible guy. Thursday night, he called me up, left me a voicemail, and he said, hey, we rented a limo. We closed the round, rented a limo, and we're all out of Glenwood South. <laughs> and I remember calling him the next day, like, I don't know, 8 a.m. Right. No answer. <laughs> no answer. So, like, I think, like, raise capital, but act like you don't have it. Mm. You know, just keep the offices very, very simple. Keep salaries down as low as you can. And realize that you, you know, you could hit a bunch of bumps right. and need to reserve, reserve a bunch for that. It's interesting. It's kind of the fine line between, you know, celebrating the wins for the company, but still realizing again, back to your earlier point, you're using somebody else's capital at this point in time to, to kind of grow your business and be yeah, conscientious of that. I think like founders like, you know, Mike Dornberg, you know, who's run, uh, ran Reverb Nation and then play metrics. Like I think founders like that realize and, and take extra pressure of taking someone else's money. Yeah. And take it very, very seriously. And I, I'm, I remember Mike saying he's got like I think it's like the fear of like the lion chasing him or whatever when he raises money. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I think it's it just uh, adds a little extra extra pressure to most founders. Yeah. So what is the best way an entrepreneur can can work with their investors? I mean, you talked about the way some of your companies utilize Bull City, but like if you were advising a company now that you have your check, this is this is how you should reach out and use kind of the, the, your investors. Yeah. I'm a big fan of proving that out, that relationship out even before you take the capital. Mm-hmm. So like for us, I'm always like, you know, put us to work beforehand, you know, test us out. Can we introduce you to, can we help you with recruiting? Can we introduce you to customers and, and see what that's like beforehand before you do business with us. Mm-hmm. It's a great way for us to sell our, our, our value prop as well. So uh, we'll do that. For, for anybody, you know, that we're, we're serious with. Um, but I, I like, you know, getting in a good rhythm where companies are usually having regular board meetings. Mm-hmm. So they're having, you know, early, early days, maybe they're having six to 10 board meetings a year, even if they're shorter. And then in between, it's just a lot of like, whenever they hit a blip or they need help with something, uh, they're looking for a key introduction yep. or, I mean, we're engaging with our companies all the time. So it's like, again, recruiting is a big, is a big one. Uh, introductions to like board members, other advisors, customers, partners, control acquirers, uh, service providers, right? Like there's, there's all different HR issues. So they're always like reaching out, mm-hmm. you know, for how, you know, again, how can we help them stay on track and help accelerate their story? Yep. That makes a lot of sense. You, you had mentioned the fact that you kind of were in, involved with venture Atlanta, you know, you do, do, do work here in the triangle. I'm just curious is how do you see kind of the triangle ecosystem at this point in time? Kind of how has it changed since I guess you first got started? And are, are we on a good path? Or are we, where are we at? It's an interesting spot. Like I've been saying for a while that, you know, we uh, have a lot of potential and it's on, it's on the come. And, I, and I, I think to really get a market going, I think you need to have, and, and we're software, primarily software investors, you need to have like three 
10 billion dollar companies in a market mm -hmm. exits like yep. usually exits but at least of size so you know SaaS is here epic games we had red hat so i think that's really helped uh move things forward more here's in my opinion like that's been the real catalyst of this region. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're seeing we're, our deal flow is way up here in, in, in the market. Um, and, and then during the pandemic, we saw a lot of people move, you know, move back here. Right. Or maybe they went to school here, went to state or UNC or Duke, moving back here um, from the West Coast or from Boston. So we saw a lot more uh, talent move to the area. Mm -hmm. And then the interesting thing, I think in the last like few years, is now we're seeing capital be more willing to invest here. Okay. Like firms that never invested here you know, before, uh, all of a sudden writing checks here. Mm -hmm. So they're like, hey, I don't need to be just out in the Bay Area. I can I can do I can invest in companies in North Carolina with great success. And I think that again, the pandemic I think helped accelerate that in, in a big way. Yep. So like I mentioned Green Places earlier, we took money from Felicis and Redpoint. That's never, you know, Felicis and Redpoint, that's a first deal here in North Carolina wow. for yeah. both of them. Yep. So I think uh, we're, we're, you know, I got an email this morning from a firm uh, that said, hey, I'm, I'm really interested in what's going on in North Carolina. Um, can we set up a call? They've never invested here before. Yeah. So we're seeing more of that happen. And I think that's a really positive story for entrepreneurs here. And again, 80, over 80% 80 of the capital that gets raised here by founders uh, in our state comes from outside the area anyway. Mm -hmm. And now I think it just could even go up higher. So I, I take it from that statement, you welcome kind of their involvement and in these outside firms. Again, we, yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're very collaborative. Mm -hmm. We, we need those dollars um, to build up these companies to scale. So absolutely very welcome at that. And do you feel at all that, I don't know that the region has somewhat stalled. Like, I mean, you talked about some of the IPOs, I mean, those are starting to get some age on them. Um, you know, do we need kind of another influx of similar type successes here to continue to grow? Yeah, I mean, throughout throughout the set, you know, it's not a North Carolina issue, right? right? So if we were sitting in Atlanta, we'd be saying the same thing, mm -hmm. or the D.C. area uh, where we also spend a lot of time, we, we or, or Nashville. All these markets say the exact same thing. So it's uh, I appreciate you know I live I live work here all of that, but. It, um, and, and want more hap great stuff happening here, but right. it's it's a it's a common thing throughout the the whole southeast. Yeah, absolutely. Do we need more IPOs here? Yes, fingers crossed. Uh, you know, there's a, a handful of names here that I've gotten to scale, like like the Pendos of the world, yep. which is which is probably an obvious one. Um, so uh, you know, I think they're you know well positioned to hopefully do that at some some point. It'll be exciting times. I agree. So we are the Founder Shares Podcast, and I always like to ask our guests. You know, if there's one piece of advice that you wanted to share with someone who's thinking about starting a company, thinking about running a company, you know, what would your advice be to them? I, I think the the biggest piece of advice is hopefully something that I've kind of shared throughout our time today, and it's really like surround yourself with the best people. Hmm. You know, be be picky, find other A players to help your company out with sales, marketing, technology. Find great advisors. You know, there's some remarkable people here locally that are very experienced and have run companies and are now advising companies uh, or becoming angel investors. So I think it's like building that winning team. And then I think with the with the team, making sure all your service providers are 
And I really look at them as partners, yep. accounting, legal. I'm not saying that just because you're here. Well, I appreciate it. But like, that. you know, finding the partners to surround your business with, not just hire a lawyer because he's your, you know, dad's golfing buddy, yep. but hire someone that has experience building, you know, working with tech companies and does this for a living. Yep. So I think that's really important. And same thing with accounting and, and other service providers. So I think that's really, really important because what building these is or building companies is already really, really hard. And I think as many uh, shortcuts as you can take to help increase the chances of success, yep. it, it, it means a lot. And so that's probably the best advice I could probably give. No, that's fantastic advice. And I hope people listen to it. And if, you know, the great companies that are out there, how do they reach out to you? How do they get in touch with you? Jason at bcvp.com. That's fantastic. Well, I uh, appreciate you coming on. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to seeing you around. Yeah, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. That was Jason Kaplan. You can reach out to him at jason at bcvp.com. That's jason at bcvp.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Founder Shares podcast. If you're a founder or business owner and need legal advice, be sure to check out our team at hutchlaw.com. That's hutchlaw.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. The show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and thanks for listening to the Founder Shares podcast. 